but we are so thankful for your deliverance through Jesus. We thank you for his death in our place. We thank you for the life he gives us. And we thank you for the precious gift of your word. We pray now, Father, as we think about prayer, as we hear from your word read to us, that by your spirit you would so move in us that we would see just a little bit more clearly the reality of who you are and who we are. Um, Lord, make us a praying people in the light of the good news of Jesus, in the light of your glory and grace. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath, the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up and the Lord God had sent no, for the Lord God had sent no rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Well, uh, as I mentioned before, we're starting a new series today on the topic of prayer, uh, prayer in the Bible. And thinking about prayer can cause all kinds of reactions. Um, I, it's been a little while since I've uh, dug out a uh, Charlie Brown cartoon, so I thought I'd do that today to start us off. Um, all kinds of reactions. Uh, here you can see, if you're listening on and can't see the picture, it's a cartoon of Lucy and um, Linus. I think that's Linus, yeah, with his security blanket. And, and Linus is asking Lucy, do you ever pray, Lucy? Uh, and Lucy, in her typical fashion, if you know anything about the comics, 
She's a bit edgy, a bit prickly. She says, that's a kind of personal question, isn't it? Are you trying to start an argument? I suppose you think you're someone pretty smart, don't you? I suppose you think... Dot, dot, dot. Anyway, the next panel, Linus is back with Charlie Brown, sitting on a log, sucking his thumb and saying, you're right, religion is a very touchy subject. Or well, the next one. Here we go. This is a bit of a running gag through the comics. Charlie Brown and Lucy having a chat. May I ask, are you a personal question, Lucy? Lucy says, why, of course. Charlie Brown, I don't want to upset you. Lucy, don't be silly, Charlie Brown. Nothing you could ask could possibly upset me. So here's his question. Do you pray before you go to bed or after you get up in the morning? To which Lucy replies, Ah! <laughs> Knocking Charlie Brown over, barreling him over. Um, I wonder, though, what thoughts and feelings does talking about prayer stir up in you? Um, I guess there'll be a whole range of reactions among us when we're thinking about the issue of prayer. Some of us may feel confused about it. There's kind of perhaps an uncertainty about prayer in the Christian life. It may be that you're not a Christian with us here this morning. Uh, and you're so welcome with us. And may, but perhaps you, uh, if that's you, prayer is one of those more bizarre things that Christians do that you just can't get your head around. Um, for many Christians, I think uh, prayer conjures up a kind of vague sense of guilt or disappointment. You know that prayer is important. You know that you should pray. You, should prob you know you should probably be praying more often and more earnestly than you do. You hear of great Christians who spend three hours a day in prayer and you struggle to get five minutes in and you just wouldn't know where to start if you had three hours. Um, perhaps that's you. It may be some, there may be some, though, on the other end of the spectrum. Perhaps you're a kind of confused or discouraged prayer. Um, it may be, though, that there are some on the other end uh, who are proud prayers. Um, perhaps you're able to pray impressive prayers. Um, perhaps you're self-disciplined enough to pray long prayers. Uh, perhaps people consider you a great prayer and that gratifies something deep within you. And perhaps there are some in the very dangerous position of thinking that somehow your capacity to string words together sets you apart from others or makes you a better Christian than others. Well, maybe, maybe you fit somewhere along that spectrum. Maybe you kind of oscillate here and there, depending on what, which day it is and which side of the bed you get out of. Um, my hope for this series, friends, over the next five weeks is those of us um, who do see within ourselves that kind of pride would be humbled. And that those of us who know our weakness and inadequacy and who at times despair of ourselves would be lifted up, encouraged and spurred on by God's word. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news in every part of life. And it is good news for struggling prayers. It's good news for struggling prayers because it declares to us that the truest 
and most important thing about us is not ourselves. It's not within ourselves, but is within Jesus, who is the perfect prayer and who we are united to by faith. That's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. That's kind of some of the things that we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. Uh, but I wanted to spend a, a, just a, a brief bit of time introducing what, how we're going to go about our approach. Um, a difficult thing to try and cover the whole Bible's teaching on prayer in five weeks. Um, we're not going to, there'll be obviously be things that we don't cover, and it's, what we're not going to be doing is picking out every verse where prayer is mentioned in the Bible. Um, what, we, what we are going to be doing is something similar to uh, if you were at our winter school and you heard David Wright's seminar on biblical theology, that was just a, such a helpful seminar. I, everyone uh, who was there, I'm sure, um, can attest to that. Uh, biblical theology, the seminar that we had, uh, is um, how you understand the whole story of the Bible, the whole of the Bible as one unified story that centres on Jesus. And it gives us a framework to think about the whole Bible. Uh, a great example of this actually was, um, if you were here a few weeks ago and Jack, you were here when Jack Page preached, if you remember Jack's sermon on worship, he basically did a biblical theology of worship in one sermon, from creation to new creation, if you, and that was just such a helpful thing that Jack did for us. Um, we're, what we're going to do is something similar to that, but sort of breaking it up over five weeks, um, just to kind of orient us and recap some of the stuff that David looked at in that seminar. Uh, so this is the timeline of the Bible from creation to new creation. Uh, the Bible's uh, in two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and the story of the Bible it basically goes like this. From creation, uh, humanity falls and, re- and turns away from God. Uh, the story doesn't finish there by God's grace. God chooses a people for himself and gives them amazing promises and that's the story of Israel. Israel's story, however, ends badly. Uh, in exile, they don't live up to the covenant that God has entered in with them. But again, that's not the end of the story. The whole centre, the heart of the whole Bible's story is the coming of Jesus um, and the beginning of a new covenant through his blood. Uh, and that's where we fit in as the church, the people of God, through faith in Christ. Um, what, uh, the, over the next few weeks, this is how things are going to play out next week. Uh, we're kind of trying to cover that whole bit. <laughs> uh, well, it'll be, of course, fairly uh, uh, skimming through a lot of things. But we're gonna, we're, what we're going to think about next week um, is why we, why we don't pray. Uh, the impact of the fall um, and how that sort of played out through the story of Israel um, in terms of our prayers uh, week three, we're going to focus on Jesus and the difference that Jesus makes to our prayers. And that's really the centre of the whole series. Uh, if you kind of have to miss out on a few, that's the one to kind of try to get to if you are at all able to. Um, week four and five, we're going to think about what this all means for us as the church in this part of the Bible's history um, and what the New Testament um, says about what it means to pray in the light of the gospel. Today, though, what we're going to try and do uh, is focus on the bookends of the story, from creation and new creation, uh, and see what that does for us. It's actually, it, on one level, I hope that this is a helpful tool for all of us. It's a really helpful way for any issue, any theme, 
to get a sense for how the whole story of the Bible might um, uh, impact your thinking on any particular kind of subject. And what we're going to try and do is focus in on the, issue, on the topic of prayer in the light of this big story. Does that make sense? Um, Like I said before, we we won't cover everything. We may not get to all your questions. Uh, There are a whole bunch of excellent resources out on the table there uh, that I'd recommend to go deeper into any of these things, though. Um, But we'll move on. We'll think about the start of the the, the left hand side of that, the the start of the the story. Uh, If uh, Miriam can attest to this, but um, some of you might know I have a terrible sense of direction, but coupled with that, coupled with that is this like unfailing optimism that I'll always be able to sniff my way. Um, so it gets me in trouble sometimes, um, and often it's a, it's a wrong turn at the start of the journey that sets me off, sort of going the wrong direction, sets things off badly. I had the, one of the um, worst times for me was back in Sydney. It's not too bad down here because everything's everything's so easy. Uh, but when we lived in Sydney, um, there was one time I, um, this was before smartphones, so I had my street directory there, but I thought, nah, I can wing it. Um, I was at a shopping centre in um, eastern suburbs of Sydney and uh, uh, dro- drove out of the shopping centre. And a- anyway, I kind of just did this thing where I sniffed my way home. Um, and uh, for some reason, found, my, found myself on this huge freeway travelling the opposite direction I wanted to go without any exits for what seemed like 50 kilometres, you know? <laughs> and it was very painful and took a long time to wind my way back home. Um, but how you start a journey is critical for the rest of the trip, right? It sets the direction for everything else. You get it wrong and the consequences can be big. Uh, and it's no different with the, the, the Bible's story. The Bible is about God's relationship with humanity. Um, and it's crucial that we get the start right. It sets the direction for the whole rest of the story. Um, if you have your Bibles open, you can see the passage that we read in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, all the creatures. And then in verse 27, we read this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What you get in these chapters is this rich beautiful depiction of creation and we can't go into all that's here obviously today but one simple but incredibly important truth um, that comes home so strongly here is that humanity is created with a radical and all-encompassing dependence on God humanity is fundamentally dependent on God. We receive life from outside of ourselves. We receive our identity from outside of ourselves. We receive our gender from outside of ourselves. Do you see that there? We receive our purpose from outside of ourselves, made in God's image to reflect God's power and goodness to the world. 
to share in his rule over the world. And it's so different from our culture's message, right? The gospel of Western individualism uh, that sees dependence on someone else as foolishness and as weakness. I can be whoever I want to be. Thank you very much. (laughs) I don't receive life from outside of myself. I create my own life. I create my own identity. Even I create my own gender. I create my own purpose. Um, We're going to come back to this next week uh, when we're thinking through why, what what stops us from praying. And this this is a huge part of it. A huge part of it. But here in Genesis 1, this dependence on God is real. And it's good. It's very good. It's what we were designed for. It's a picture of life and peace. If you look at the start of chapter 2, the very first verses of chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were created in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. There's this picture of rest and life and peace and it gets filled out as you keep reading chapter 2. Chapter 2 is kind of another creation account um, from a different perspective. The camera zooms in on the first people Adam and Eve. Uh, And there's this picture of this deep, intimate relationship, not just between the man and the woman, but between the man and the woman and God. And we got that in verse 7 especially, just this this beautiful picture. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Do you sense the kind of tenderness that's there? God takes this dust, this earth, this ground, and he fashions it like this master craftsman. He fashions it and breathes into it the breath of life. We are dust. Uh, We're weak, we're dependent, we don't have life in ourselves. But what you see here is, as I've called this um, sermon, and one of the books out here is titled this as well, we're not just dust, we are beloved dust. We are fashioned with tender care by the Lord of the universe who creates just by speaking. And it's very good It's very good. It's beautiful. But if you know anything about the story, it doesn't stay that way for long. Uh, Most of us, many of us here are familiar with the story. Um, And over the coming weeks, as we've just seen, we're going to journey through this. But what we're going to do now is jump to the end. I'm conscious that there's much more in there, but we're going to jump to the end of the story. And Heather's going to read for us from the other bookend of the Bible's story. Here in Genesis, we see our good dependence on God who loves us, our right dependence that brings life and peace and what we were created for. Heather's going to read 
this incredible part of the book of Revelation right from the end. So thanks, Heather, um, from Revelation 21 and 22. So the second reading is from Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. 
The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his forename and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign for ever and ever. Thank you, Heather. What an incredible reading and imagery that that paints for us. The book of Revelation is written in a style called apocalyptic literature. It uses this rich symbolic language to show these deep theological realities. Um, There's so much in there. And hopefully as we were reading that, you would have sort of noticed some similarities from the first reading we had, the Garden of Eden. Uh, the garden that gets re-established in the new creation. Uh, But what what we've got here in chapter 21 is this: the the curtain gets pulled back on God's promised future. Uh, And perhaps surprisingly, it's a wedding scene. Did you notice that Um, uh, through uh, the start of chapter 21? There was a wedding in Genesis as well. We didn't read that today, but if if you're familiar with Genesis 2... Um, The man and the woman, Adam and Eve, are the first married couple. But what we find as we get to Revelation is that marriage, that wedding, was always a sign pointing towards the ultimate wedding, the real, true, ultimate marriage, the union of Christ and his church, a greater reality when God and humanity will live forever in perfect peace and life. And true joy, that beautiful description that there will be no more death, no mourning, no crying or pain. Um, but I, things are, that's wonderful, right? But perhaps as we were reading through that chapter 21 of Revelation, you might have noticed things get pretty weird. Um, the bride turns out to be a city, Jerusalem. 
And not just a city, there's a city that shines with the glory of God. And did you notice as we read through, it's got these weird measurements. Um, it's this massive golden cube. Now, it sort of does your head into think, how, is it, how, how can you have a city that's a golden cube? Uh, it's got all these layers in it, or what's going on? It's not immediately obvious, but once, I, there's something very significant going on here. And I think once we see it, it's just stunning. Um, there is another perfect golden cube in the Bible. Uh, next week, as I said, we'll, we'll focus in on humanity's, how, the story of how humanity lost God's presence by their sin and how God in his grace persisted. He established his people Israel uh, and along the way um, he set up a place for his presence to be known in the midst of Israel. Uh, the temple, the, the place called the temple. Um, it wasn't that, and we get this in the Old Testament, it wasn't that God was restricted to a building, it's not that he kind of could only live there, but that was where he, his special presence was concentrated as a reminder to the people of Israel that to be in relationship with this God is a big deal. Um, a holy God can only dwell with his people through, with sinful people, through a mediator, through sacrifice for sin. And Right in the middle of this temple in Israel, right in the middle of this temple where God's presence was most sort of white hot concentrated was a room, a room called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a perfect gold-lined square. A perfect gold-lined cube, I should say. And that room was totally off limits um, only one person could go in once a year the high priest uh, in the temple could go in once a year to be in the immediate presence of God uh, it was off limits it was this kind of constant reminder this visible tangible reminder of God's holiness and of the distance between people and God but do you see the symbolism of what's going on here in Revelation 21? If you flick down to verse 22 of chapter 21, and the Apostle John who's writing this writes um, that there is no temple in this city. Uh, there is no system of sacrifice that mediates between God and his people, no kind of cautious entering into God's presence one time a year, with, from, from one person who was representing the nation. There's none of that. There's no temple because at the heart of, because the heart of the temple, this Holy of Holies, has expanded to take over the whole of creation, to include all of God's people, to be with him always. The Lord, uh, it, it keeps going, there is no temple, verse 21, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. See what's going on here? This intimate, immediate life with God in his presence that humanity was created for, that we lost, that could only be accessed once a year by one person is here made perfect 
forever for all of God's people. The question is, how does that happen? Well, that's the next few weeks of this series, so stay tuned. Uh, But we keep reading on. If you flick down to verse 3 of chapter 22, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Um, A theologian called uh, G.K. Beale has put it better than I could, so I've got the quote up on the screen here. See what's going on here. Whereas the high priest who wore God's name on his forehead was the only person in Israel who could enter the Holy of Holies once a year and be in God's presence, in the future all of God's people will become high priests with God's name on their foreheads and standing not one day a year, but forever in God's presence. Wow. Isn't that spectacular? My friends, what has this to do with prayer? Neither of the passages that we've read mention prayer. Um, but you know that's kind of the point, actually. I've, uh, you might have noticed a kind of strange subtitle of this sermon, slightly provocative, maybe. Uh, I've, uh, you've got it there. Why we were never meant to pray. Um, that's not at all to downgrade the precious gift of prayer. What I, what that's meant to do is to highlight the even more precious, the even more amazing reality that frames how we think about it, prayer. That frames our prayers. We were never meant to pray in the way that we experience prayer because we were created for something far more glorious. We were created for an immediate, intimate, face-to-face relationship with God. Uh, And these two realities, creation and new creation, they're kind of like um, magnets at the end of the Bible's story. Um, one that's, uh, uh, I don't know which polarity, but the one that pushes away, or I, you know, scientists, you can correct me out afterwards. Think about it like that, if you will. Um, a magnet that kind of pushes us forward. There's a push force from creation and a pull force from the new creation. A magnet that draws us towards that. There's this kind of push and pull that creation and new creation have on us. And as God's Spirit grows within us, a yearning for what we've lost, a yearning for what we've lost, we have lost something in the fall, central to who we are. As God's Spirit grows within us, a yearning for that and a longing for what is to come. A longing for what is to come. That is when prayer will become for us not a duty but a delight, when we will move from just knowing about God to knowing God, 
two very different things. When, as we praise God, as we confess our sin to him, as we thank him, as we ask him to continue his work, uh, it will all be in the push and pull of what, what we were created for and what we are drawn towards, what our certain destiny is if we are in Christ of this eternal life with God that we were made for and that Jesus has won for us through the gospel. Um, There's a great statement of faith. If you're familiar with it, it's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, And its first question, it's this uh, this catechism, it has question and answer response. The first question, if you're familiar with it, you'll know, is what is the chief end of man? Uh, end meaning purpose. What's the, what's, what's, what's the purpose of humanity? <laughs> what's the chief purpose for which you are here, which I am here, which all people are created? The answer is that the, the, this um, wonderful statement gives is, and not, it's, it's in the sort of title of the whole series, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So isn't that an interesting, challenging thought wonderful thought that your chief end is to glorify to bring glory to god in your life and to enjoy him to enjoy him forever um, another great writer from the past saint augustine or augustine i'm never quite sure how to pronounce it uh, he wrote this in a book i don't have it out there but if you can get it and you're a bit of a reader it's sort of dense but Um, It's a book called The Confessions of St. Augustine. Um, It's basically an extended prayer, this whole book. Uh, Augustine writes, You have made us, this is him praying to God, O God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. What is your purpose, friends? What is your... Well, God's Word tells you what your purpose is. Summarized so beautifully in that confession. To glorify God and to, en- and, and to enjoy Him forever. Not glorify Him in some kind of cold, mechanistic kind of a way but to enjoy him in his presence forever. That's what you were created for. Uh, it, it may be that today you know that, you know, as we read through chapter 21, there's that kind of sobering words there that this reality is only for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Not for those whose names aren't written. And it may be for you that you know that your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, that you're not a Christian person. Um, This is what you were made for. This is what you were made for. This is the goal that you can have through faith in, in Jesus, in his death for you in your place. Jesus offers rest to your restless heart. He offers wholeness to be who you were created to be, to find eternal peace and joy. And the way into that is through prayer. 
through coming to God, you yourself confessing your sin, trusting in his gracious provision for you through Jesus. And perhaps as we share in the Lord's Supper later, that might be for you an opportunity to pray to God yourself. Speak with God. Deal with him today. But prayer is not just the way into the Christian life. It's the way on in the Christian life. Continuing to live out that push force that you were created to be dependent upon God. That's who you were created to be. That's how you were created to be. That in Christ, that is your destiny. You, you don't want to get to, the heaven, to heaven, to the new creation, face to face with God and be a stranger to him and not know how to talk to him. That's your destiny. Friends, perhaps over the next few weeks, um, all of us are in different boats with prayer. It, as we said at the start, it kind of conjures up all different things for all of us. Um, maybe over the next few weeks, this, oh, this is an opportunity for you to reboot your prayer life. Um, we'll be thinking a little bit about that. I'm hoping to give a, a theological framework, as we talked about before, to think about prayer in the big picture. There's some great resources out the back that can help you do that. I mean, relationship with God is what you're created for. It's what you're headed for through Christ. Uh, so let's yearn for it, for his kingdom and his glory. In a moment, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. Uh, and as I said, perhaps for you, this is an opportunity to, or for all of us, um, to ourselves personally deal with God, to come before him in his presence, in prayer to confess our sins to him and to receive again that good news that Jesus has died for us to take us to that future that we were created for. Before we do that, can I pray for us though? Let's pray. God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Father, you know our restless hearts. Um, even for us who have put our trust in Christ and are your children we can still live according to the flesh, according to our old Adam, uh, our old self in Adam. We can still find our hearts restless and yearning after other things. Help us to see the truth that we were created for relationship with you. Uh, help us to hear the promise that in your coming future we will be with you directly and intimately in your presence, face to face. And in the light of those two great realities, stir within us a desire to know you, not just to know about you, a desire to be with you here and now, a desire to come before you in prayer. Please work within each of us, we pray, over the coming weeks as we think through this really important and central part of what it means to be your person. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're going to have an opportunity to respond now to God's word, as I said, in sharing the Lord's Supper together. Um, and a way that we can do that is to together pray together. And we often, um, it's a really wonderful thing to pray in our own hearts and with our own words, but it's also a really faith-building, wonderful thing to pray together as God's people, gathered together. So that's what we're going to do now. And this prayer of confession, if you're um, uh, yourself kind of not familiar with that or comfortable to pray that out loud, just read along in, uh, in, in um, your own head and pray that yourself. Um, but friends, as we um, come to the Lord's table and as we remind ourselves again of the truth of the gospel, let's prepare our own hearts by praying together this prayer of confession that will be on the screen. Together. Merciful Lord, our maker and judge, we come to your table trusting not in our own goodness but in your mercy alone. We have wronged you and are deserving of your judgments. Though we are unworthy to receive your welcome, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to live and die for us, bearing the penalty for our sin so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to you. Father, help us to come by faith, trusting in his body broken and his blood shed for us. Help us to love you more and to love others as you have loved us. Help us to live each day for your glory. Amen.